Is Bubdesk the way of the future? What went down at Edutech in Brisbane and measuring soft skills in kids? Hello and welcome to the second edition of APN Educational Media's Week in Review podcast called Talking Eds. My name is Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor here at APN and I'm joined by education editor James Wells from Campus for You and Education Review. Hi James, how are you going? Good, how are you? Very well, thank you. And Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. How are you going Lauren? Good Patrick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And before getting stuck into this week's education news, just a quick refresher on the Talking Eds podcast. Uh, APN Educational Media has three titles covering the nurturing and teaching of people from preschool age. That's Early Learning Review, Lauren's title through the primary and high school years by education review and then up to higher education, which is university TAFE vocational training. And that's covered in Campus Review. And James is the editor of, and journalist across Education Review and Campus Review. And I'm the news editor, so I work across all three. So in part one today, we're gonna to start with preschool age. Lauren, you spoke this week to the founder of a new facility called Bubdesk. Tell us all about it. So Bubdesk is a new co-working space with a creche and it's located in Perth, but it's actually not the first business of this type in the country. There are a couple in Victoria, a couple in New South Wales, for instance, and some elsewhere. And the founder of this uh, business said that she created it because there's a critical shortage of affordable childcare in Perth, and also to allow people with flexible working arrangements to care for their kids and work at the same time. And she's targeting uh, the corporate market, although currently most of her clients are mumpreneurs. But so far she's had a great response. Um, Parents love the efficiency of it, the low cost, the fact that it's a creche means it costs less than childcare. Um, But there are some potential drawbacks and because it's a creche, it doesn't have the same regulations as as a childcare centre does. So the quality might not be as good. Um, That being said, the founder assured me that all of her teachers were fully qualified, but it remains to be seen whether parents will want to use that as a permanent childcare option as opposed to just a casual one. So you can drop your kids off here and sort of be in the same facility managing your your business online? That's right. So the creche is upstairs and downstairs are hot desks that people can use while their kids are being cared for upstairs. Um, it accepts you know, newborns as young as six weeks old, so mothers can breastfeed if they need to, um, all the way up to preschool age kids. So yeah, there's a variety of services. Yeah, this sounds like a really good idea to me because we, we know that childcare is a huge issue and we don't want to limit people's ability to work and to make money and to pursue their dreams. And it is targeting entrepreneurs. I, I, I love the idea that you could be um, sitting at your, your Mac you know, creating the next Facebook or the next YouTube while upstairs are screaming babies all crying out for, for their mother. Yeah, yeah, and interestingly, she claims that people aren't distracted by having their kids upstairs and that it actually gives them peace of mind knowing that the ki- their kids are being looked after instead of them thinking that they have to always check on their kid at home, for instance. So, but you mentioned this um, industry is unregulated, so it, it, if you, it could be, while well, this business may be um, perfectly fine, there could be copycats here, it could be like dodgy, that could pop up. Definitely, and um, yeah, several early learning organisations have said that when it comes to creches, parents should always go and check out the facilities, speak to the, the educators and the managers just to, to see what the 
the atmosphere there is like because there have been cases where kids have not been supervised adequately at a creche and there have been issues. Kids have been attacked by other kids, for instance. All sorts of things have gone wrong. <laughs> You'd hate the idea of, of two mums working together to create the next breakthrough being torn apart and their, their huge new breakthrough not getting off the ground because of bullying upstairs in the creche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the kids couldn't share the latest toy. Well, she's actually not targeting entrepreneurs, although those are the majority of people that she sees at the moment. Um, She's looking at corporates and she's looking at expanding to the CBD so that people who work in corporations can sort of have that time with their kids um, and then go to work for a meeting if necessary, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. We're seeing more and more companies being really flexible. Like people, you're allowed to take your pet to work now in some offices. And so, and yet there's still a little bit of a stigma about parents working after their kids are born, which I, I think we would just need to get rid of as soon as possible. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, with the new economy as well, um, we need to kind of provide the infrastructure for the new kinds of jobs that are arising. And having, you know, a hot desk in creche facility is, I think, quite befitting for our times. In part two, we're going to talk about my trip up to Edutech, which was held in Brisbane on uh, Monday and Tuesday this week. I actually found this a really enjoyable conference. I've been to I've been to a lot of conferences in my time as a journalist and editor, and they're normally incredibly tedious, uh, saved only by the single serve Mentos that you get on all the stands. But I found this to be a really interesting uh, gathering of lots of technology vendors that have software and hardware targeting uh, the school age environment. Uh, speaking directly to principals and teachers from K to 12, and then also some higher education as well, but it really was focused on school age. And there were uh, software providers and uh, and hardware, and the hardware was mostly around uh, interactive whiteboards, and there was a, imagine like a coffee table, but the, the table itself was a computer screen that was a touch screen. It was running a bespoke software, so I don't know how popular it's going to be broadly, but kids can play on it to uh, access the internet and to play videos. And that, that seemed to be very popular with, with the delegates there. One of the people who spoke uh, at length was a fellow named Dan Bray, and he's from the Canberra public school system. And he was talking about how the 87 schools in his command had switched from a learning management system that uh, wasn't being used by teachers and was too rudimentary or too basic for the tech savvy students to the Google Apps program. And he said that in, in the past, using the LMS, usage was on heavily managed computers. They were completely penned into a system that kids hated, they weren't used to it, it wasn't what they used in their, in their own time. And they were using it on sort of devices which they didn't, I mean, kids like using smartphones and tablets, they don't really like using, you know, late or uh, previous models of bulky notebooks. And so they switched to Google Apps, which it's now, they go from highly monitored and centralized to very open. And the programs are exactly the same programs you'd use in your own time with Google, which is Gmail, Docs, Sheets, Hangouts, which is their messaging service. And this minimalist approach had really uh, taken off in the Canberra school system. So I just wanted to find out what you guys thought about, uh, you know, when you were at school and talking to educators now about the, the sort of the software and the hardware that, that kids are using at schools. Software and hardware kids are using at schools when they bring all the smartphones to schools and iPads and stuff like that. I've, um, I've seen a lot of quite just observing some school kids around and they're reasonably young and they, they pull out the smartphone which is better than the phone I have. So kids are, they are tech savvy, they grew up with it essentially. 
But I'm just one. You say a minimalist approach. A lot of the, a lot of those very clunky internet systems that you were talking about that they switch from. A lot of that is because of um, safety, online safety, because mm. of online safety concerns. I'm just wondering, did this guy address um, safety in his very... Well, he, yeah. he did address it, and he did yeah. say that, you know, it, it, it's safe in terms of, you know, you can block, you know, all the, all the pornographic sites, you can block the gambling sites. But I think that he was saying that you've got to step away from being heavy-handed and being Orwellian about it and just put some trust back in the users that, you know, you don't have to block every website. I mean, I remember when... Um, when the social media sites first became really popular, workplaces and schools, they all rushed to block Facebook and Twitter and YouTube because they, they thought, oh, that's a waste of time. Now, no workplace or school blocks those sites because they, there is a use for them if they're, they're used appropriately. And if they're being used inappropriately, you manage that inappropriate use independent of everybody else. Mm. And kids are smart enough to get around the blocks anyway. Mostly. Yeah, the kids yeah. are so much smarter than the adults. Mm. So that's why you've got to be giving them systems that they want to use. Yeah. Lauren, you're, you're a recent graduate. What did you think about the learning management system that, that your uni used? Um, it's pretty outdated. Uh, I'm not going to give much away for fear of being libelous. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And um, that's just not acceptable. Well, you know. one of the things about at unis, I'm not sure how it is at schools, but when I was at uni, it was like the system was there and the only time you would ever fish out your login and your password when you absolutely needed to, which is, you know, when you just uh, chose classes, when you chose your class at the start of the year, then when you got your results at the end. And you would never log in any other time to do anything else because it was it would, wouldn't be updated properly. It, it wasn't seamless to use. It was so removed from the normal programs that you used. I think Google's now almost too big to be reined in. It's pervasive and it's good. It works well and we should all use it, including schools. <laughs> very, very solid endorsement. The yeah. other, the other software... Oh, we are not disclaimer, disclaimer yeah. I have no shares in Google. But if, uh, <laughs> if Google would like to sponsor us, please feel free to get in touch. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, the other, from the, the most well-known software brand in the world to a new one, a company called Firefly, an English company, I spoke to its founder, Joe Matthewson, and he was, it's a, it's a software program that uh, brings together the triangle of teachers, parents, and students around homework. And what it means is that a teacher can assign a homework project to the students, and then parents can log in to see what their students' homework is for that night. So they can, so if, you've got, if a whole school is using it, they can log in and see for maths, he has to do this worksheet, for English, it's write a book report about To Kill a Mockingbird. For science, it's learn the periodic table. And you can monitor it all. The student completes the homework in the inside this program. And that means that the, the, the parent can see how the student's going. The teacher can mark it in the software program so that the parent can then monitor uh, the progress. So it was, I mean, he was selling it as like a particularly um, innovative way in order to, to bridge that gap because Normally with, with homework, I mean, the parents are completely unknown what, what the homework is. It costs $20 per student for a school to out, roll out this product. Like, couldn't they encourage helicopter parenting then? It could certainly... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think Not that, to mention <laughs> issues around, you know, privacy. Yeah. And Why haven't you done helps. your homework yet? Because oh, I'm doing this other piece of homework, Mum. Well, <laughs> at the other end of that spectrum is the parent logs in and sees that the student is nowhere near finished their maths assignment, so they just jump in there and go... Oh, I don't want my student to get bad marks. My mm. my kids get bad marks, so he st the parent starts filling out the the homework in their stead. Mm. I feel like if the parent is prone to do that, they're going to do it with or without a software program. 
that mm. kind of parent would do yeah, that regardless. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I feel like this software program, if you use properly, it can be really good. If you use inappropriately, it's it's one of those, it doesn't really have a middle, middle ground. If you use it inappropriately, it can be actually quite damaging to education, I think. Because it just, um, it can lead to issues like helicopter parenting, whereby the parents just jab, jab, jab the child to to and monitor the marks or homework. And that's stressful for the child and the teacher because in, the teach and because then often these parents ask the teacher, why is my kid getting good marks? Why aren't you getting them better marks and stuff like that? So yeah, I reckon it, ha- it has potential for good and bad. The, the other speaker that really captured my attention was David Thode, who is the former CEO of Telstra and now chair of the board at CSIRO, CSIRO. And David Thode sort of, he, he framed his keynote presentation around the idea that we, in Australia, we laud our sporting and our cultural superstars, but we could barely name a STEM superstar, STEM, uh, science, technology, uh, engineering and maths. We create all these fantastic innovations like Wi-Fi and the bionic ear, and yet can we name the people who actually worked on those projects? So I wanted to ask you guys, do should we be uh, lauding our STEM superstars more and giving them more attention? I don't think it's just STEM superstars. I think it's our intellectuals. Intellectualism isn't limited to STEM. I think that's important to note. But uh, yes, we should uh, limit all people who achieve in Australia, regardless of what what they do. I think if they achieve good things, they achieve it well, and yeah, that's what I that's what I think. I also think there's a stigma around Australian culture being a little bit. Um, you know, uncivilized, and I don't feel that that's actually true. There have been um, studies that have shown that Australians actually attend more museums and galleries than many other European populations, for instance. So I think that is a little bit of an old stereotype. And although we're probably not learning enough about these revolutionary scientists, um, on the whole, Australians are actually quite cultured. Um, compared to what people think they are. In part three today, James, you had a story this week with the tongue-twisting headline, Think Tank Wants School Kids' Soft Skills Measured. James, what's a soft skill and why do we need to measure them? Uh, Do we need to measure them? Okay, I'll begin with what's a soft skill. A soft skill is your social skills, your emotional intelligence, how you interact with people, how you can uh, work in the team, stuff stuff like that. All the things you put at the front of your resume, I'm at. Yeah, yeah, I'm a team player, I'm a, yeah, I'm a communicator. So your EQ skills. Yes, if we want to put it like that, yes. But um, it's a bit concerning, this story, because in education, we measure every... I'll explain the story first, I should do that. Basically, Victoria University's Mitchell Institute, which is quite an influential think tank on education and, and health policy... Um, they want that they want they've released a new report and they want to see soft skills measured like almost like how we measure um, students like like the hard skills say their academic results they don't but the thing is no one knows how to measure soft skills effectively without um, re- resorting back to a test and that they admit that in the report and Stacey Fox uh, the author report I interviewed said that as well and she also and she also does say that Unlike NAPLAN, which is publicly available, you can see the league tables of NAPLAN on my school website, which everyone, which newspapers love, no one else does. Um, you can, you, we shouldn't make this, we shouldn't make this data publicly available. Rather, it's for decision makers and policy makers so they can judge how how our education system develop develops people rather than just their academic capabilities. But 
I was going to ask, is this more than on the report card where it says, you know, knows how to share and respects other people's property? Is it more in depth, tense and in depth than that that they're trying to measure? There's not enough detail to say. There's a big, there's a big debate about it. It's like, it's sort of like, how, how, how do we know we're producing well-rounded people rather than people who can just write out an essay? But the thing is, with, when you're, and if you go back to this, go, back, go on to the second part of the story, um, Meredith Melville Jones, who we talked about last week, says we shouldn't measure measure it because it distract because measuring something distracts from the actual teaching of it. You you teach to the measurement rather than teaching what you're trying to teach. And it goes on to um, Campbell's law, which I discovered yesterday while reading a book. Which I'll give you the academic definition and I'll translate. Campbell's law. Campbell's law. Campbell's law. Lay it on us. Okay. The academic in academic speak, it is it it is quote. The more any quantitative social indicator is used for social decision-making, the more subject it will be to corruption pressures and the more apt it will be to distort and corrupt the social pro- processes is, it is intended to monitor. Uh, tr- translated from academic speak into the context of schooling, it means when we try to measure a student's learning, getting the measurement becomes the goal rather than the teaching itself. Mm. What's your thoughts? Well, that, that Campbell's Law reminds me of, of the old adage regarding IQ tests that says all IQ tests measure is how good you are at IQ tests. It doesn't actually measure how, how intelligent you are. And, but I, I actually think that this is quite something that perhaps we should pursue, but not as aggressively as this think tank is suggesting. I do think that as a whole, on, on a societal level, we need to improve everybody's social skills and everybody's skills at accepting other people's differences which we do seem to have a block in the head about doing. And I think that's one of the reasons that we see a lot of outrages regarding uh, you know, people making thoughtless comments that aren't meant to be offensive, but d- don't realise how offensive some of those comments are. I think um, an issue that arises from that, though, is that is it the place of teachers to teach these soft skills? Is it not the place of parents to do so? And then that flows into discipline as well, and that's a hugely contentious issue for teachers. So where do you draw the line between what's appropriate at school versus at home? Most people would say it's it's responsibility of school of schools and parents as, as well. It's a bit of both. I think there are plenty of parents that would like schools to teach their kids manners, mm. <laughs> having failed themselves. There'd also be a lot of parents who would tell teachers off for disciplining their kids too harshly, so they think. So, I think schools could run into some issues with teaching this. I think you raise a very good point because society does tend to think that bad manners is a moral failing. Uh, or the soft skills that James talked about is more of a moral failing, whereas the hard skills, being good at maths, knowing how to conjugate verbs, is more something you need to learn that can be taught by a teacher. Yeah. So I do think you raise a very good point. I don't think soft skills is, there's no soft skills subject, and rather it's something you learn throughout the school day. You learn how to interact and, and share with other people. You learn it through like the, a, a group assignment you may do with a bunch of other students. I don't think... When teachers teach, when teachers teach, teach soft skills, it shouldn't be its own little lesson. It should be just integrated throughout school community and school culture. But in that sense, aren't soft skills already being taught? I remember in my even up to year ten report cards, there were comments on my behaviour. So isn't that, in a sense, a way of measuring my soft skills? In a way of measure, measuring it, but should we do intense data collection on it, like we do with NAPLAN? For what, to what end? To I what, mean, it, what would be the purpose? What, of well, the purpose in, a, in, a, in Mitchell's um, it report is to inform policymakers and decision makers. But the thing is, there, there is the risk of this data becoming public. Do we want that data on our individual students? 
I think it would be fascinating to see who, like, which schools have the most polite and group worthy. I think I think kids. It, I think it would be damaging. I'm not certain the school <laughs> I went to would be topping any of those charts. I think but it would perhaps be, your schools would. I think it would be very damaging, actually. In part four today, we're going to look at some other news that has been around this week. And Latrobe lecturer and Safe Schools pioneer Ros Ward has been suspended, admittedly on full pay, for criticising the Australian flag. She said in a private Facebook post. Now we just need to get rid of the racist Australian flag on top of state parliament and get a red one up there and my work is done. Latrobe hasn't commented except to say that they are not commenting. The National Tertiary Education Union then stepped in to support Rosward and the Victorian Secretary Colin Long said, Latrobe University has apparently allowed itself to be cowed into participating in this anti-intellectual, anti-democratic attack reflects the dismal state of intellectual capacity at the senior management level in some Australian universities. We are very concerned that Latrobe University management seem to think that political views should be a criterion for employment, as was the case in the Soviet Union. And I, I found that quite ironic, since uh, Ward is advocating for a red flag to fly above Parliament House. James Lauren, do either of you have strong thoughts about whether a, uh, an academic should be able to espouse uh, the... The, the view that the flag is racist and should be replaced with a red flag on Facebook? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think she should have been sacked for it. Cause or next, suspended. Suspended. Well, suspended, sacked, whatever. But I don't think she should have been um, suspended, if we're going to use the euphemism. Well, I, d- I don't think it's yeah. euphemism. I think, that I think being suspended on full play is significantly different to being sacked. Okay. okay. Anyway, but I don't think Latrobe should have taken out this action because she... Um, Said a controversial view in a private message, on on well not on a private on a private on a on a, on a post on a, on a private Facebook page which is not associated with her work. There is a lot. There is a lot of uh, grey area around how public this post was. It, it's a post that I think could have been seen by her friends, and that suggests that one of her friends was the one that leaked this that's, that's to the, story, the media. That's what the story's coming out with. Yes, Lauren, do you think that what she said was all that bad? Uh, I don't think that I think she's entitled to have that view and I think she's entitled to express it um, in her private capacity I think when it comes to being a an employee of a well-known institution or business um, you do have to watch what you say because in, even in inadvertently what you say can be construed as the view of your employer so I think that's where the difficulty lies. I think it's in, I think we haven't noted yet for one that uh, Rosward Rosward is in, instrumental in the Safe Schools Coalition um, as well she was a co-founder so there's fewer about that and also and in, and there's another interesting thing Rosward has found a very unlikely ally in the Institute of Public Affairs they don't think she was sacked because they see it as a free speech issue I do think that there there is that because she's involved with safe schools and there's absolutely no doubt that there has been an agenda to crush safe schools, a very successful agenda. So I don't think there's any doubt that there could be ulterior motive at work here. I, I think this is a gross overreaction to, to suspend uh, a person for making that post on Facebook. I think that if you make a post on Facebook which is terrible or ghastly, that's one thing. You have to pay the cost for that because you are a representative of your employer, as Lauren has said correctly. But this post was hardly um, yeah. that inflammatory. Is the Australian flag racist? I don't think so, but I can understand why an Indigenous Australian might think so. I can understand why uh, a person who's not Indigenous might think so because it's got the Union flag on it. Uh, and it's also got the Southern Cross, which has now come to represent, you know, the absolute fringes of Bogan Australian culture. But 
I don't think that expressing that view it should be it should be a suspendable offence. I think as well, it's clearly tongue in cheek and not hateful in tone. So, I agree that the university probably overreacted to it. And interestingly, this isn't this isn't the first case something like this has happened. Um, Murdoch University. They, they didn't suspend the academic, they told the academic to take a tweet down of them at a um, anti-detention, um, uh, like offshore detention, Manasala Nauru protest. And also um, Barry Spur from the University of Sydney, on I suppose on the other side of the political spectrum, had a series of racist, of, racist, of emails containing racist comments leaked to the media and was sacked for that from the University of Sydney. My, my memory of those is that those emails were much more patently mm. offensive than, yeah. than the, the comments uh, made by Rosward or the, the act of appearing at an anti or a pro-immigration rally. Thanks very much for listening to the second episode of Talking Eds. Uh, my name is Patrick Avenal and make sure you check out the full stories at earlylearningreview.com.au, educationreview.com.au and canvasreview.com.au. Lauren James, thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. And if you'd like to suggest any ideas for stories, please get in touch with us. Oh, and we're looking for guest speakers. Please contact us.